What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Uncut Sheets. I'm your co-host, Alex, the sports card stallion, and I'm flanked by the loudest mouth that is east of the Mississippi. What up, everybody? It's your boy, Fat Snacks Cards, also known as Jordan. And today we are here with a very, very special guest, vintage basketball collector, Jeff Hart, Patriot Sports Cards. How are you doing, buddy? Awesome. Glad to be here, fellas. Thank you. Thank you. We're glad to have you on. Absolutely amazing. Nice. Pleasure to have you here, Jeff. And uh, so the first part of the show that we do is called the Quick Fire Challenge. I heard that you do listen to the show. It's unfortunate. Sorry, we've wasted your time and your life. You could be doing many other things in your life, but you've chosen to listen to the show. So I appreciate that. So you probably know about the Quick Fire Challenge, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, pretty easy. Hmm. Just uh, this or that, or like a goofy question scenario that you can answer just to make it a little bit more loose before we get to the meat and potatoes. Already. Jordan's already Uh, talking about food. Come on, Jordan. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You know, got to keep a sandwich on the mind. That's how I keep this beautiful (laughs) physique. (laughs) All right. So let's get to it. First quick fire vintage basketball or vintage football? Basketball, you know, it's an easy one. Okay. That was a warm up. Yeah. All right. Second quick fire favorite hobby trade show and favorite local trade show. So, like, your number one, like, if you had to go to one show a year type show and Mm -hmm. then one that's close to you. All right. The National. Yeah. And then within the Boston area, we have a show at the uh, Shriners Auditorium in. Um, in Massachusetts, and that mm. show goes, happens twice a year, and it's like a few hundred tables. You know, it, it kind of feels like a, just a, a pretty large show for the area, so I, I would have to see that one. Shout out to them. That's awesome. All right, all right. Alex, you want to go with the next two? Yeah, what was the first card you ever owned? Do you remember? Mm. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think it was a, I recall, 1988 tops Ellis Burks second year card. That's hilarious. Nice. In Burks, horrible, horrible condition. On the Bucks, right? Did he play for the Bucks, Ellis Burks? Uh, uh, what are you talking about? No, no, he's uh, Red Sox. Okay, baseball. That's right. Okay, this guy. Ultra <laughs> informative, my ass. <laughs> Yeah, we just lost our sponsor, Alt.xyz. Sorry, Alt. Um, I know nothing about sports cards. Oh, my goodness. All right. Here's an interesting one. If you had to rename PSA, because a lot of people say that it sounds like a public service announcement. They get a little confused. Mm. If you're out of the hobby, like we all know what it is, if you had to rename them, PSA grading, what would you rename it? This is tough. It's tough. This is, a real, this is a real tough one. Um, man. It doesn't have to be so serious either. It can. Be- yeah, 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 I know. Um, I'm trying to think right I, now. I don't know. Like, S- what SAP. I I'm like, this is actually. How about SAP? This is a rub your chin. You're thinking of me. I'm like, that's <laughs> horrible. S- SAP. SAP will reverse it. Which which stands? Oh, okay, gotcha. Sports like authentication. Professionals. professionals. Actually, that's. Sap grading, look out! Maybe you'll get, <laughs> maybe you'll get some uh, some Canadian collectors on that one too. Sap yeah. maple syrup goes hand go. in, right? I'm just saying SMD grading. I'm not going to say what it stands for, but I've heard they're really good company too, up and coming, really large, really big. So keep eye out for them. AI, too. AI, good vision technology with that SMD. Yep, yep, AI. Oh yeah, big a AI. A lot of tech, a lot of tech behind that. <laughs> All right, next quick fire question. When you pull a booklet, is it considered a book or a card? It is considered a piece of crap. No. Um, <laughs> Yes. It's, it's right. a book. I, I don't think those are cards at all. Fair enough. 
Listen, I think booklets are kind of cool, but it kind of defeats the whole purpose. Does like, listen, I want to see my card that it's closed and I have to open it every time, right. and then like <laughs> we all know they've never really figured out a way to encase those cards properly. Um, the when one touches are kind of okay, but even those are a little scary. It just, I agree with you. Let's booklets can you know they can hit the road, Jack. Jeff says keep those at the library. Point card, like you know, <laughs> keep those cards at the library, right, Jeff? That's right. That's right. That's freaking right. All right, all right. So, gun to your head, Jeff. Who would you rather PC as of today, Wander Franco or Joe Exotic from Tiger King? Against your will. Being said, Wander just had the incident. Don't know if you're too aware of it, but uh, that may factor. He got caught. Hanging out with a very allegedly, girl. allegedly, allegedly, a hundred percent allegedly. I was not aware of that. But <laughs> Dude, that is that clear. So people are like, if you said wander, you're like, what the heck is going? <laughs> it does not change my answer though. Okay. So Joe Exotic, hundred percent. Let's go, Tiger King, all the way. He's, his stuff's rare, right? I don't know how many autos he has, but was it Leaf? Is it? Is it just Didn't in Leaf? Obviously, the almighty and powerful Brian Gray do a yeah. autograph with him. Yes, he did. And they actually sell for some decent money. No joke, because like you said, no one else was crazy enough to do a card with him. So true. they're pretty funny, and I think they're actually a little bit rare. I, exactly. I'd go for one of those. All right, nice, for good sure. answer. And you have to admit, everybody has to admit, we all watched that show during the pandemic, or at least some of it. Someone sampled it. And even if you haven't watched it, you've heard of it. It was like a culture phenomenon for like that that couple months. Like even if you didn't see it, you heard of it. You knew what was going on. Oh, so yeah. shout out to Joe Exotic. All right. Next question. Favorite era of basketball, 70s, 80s, 90s. And how do you think Wilt Chamberlain – or no, go ahead. Favorite basketball era, 70s, 80s, or 90s? Man, that's a good question. Uh, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with the '80s. Fair enough. That is just a Jordan, and you had the Magic and Bird toward the end, and then you had you know there's Team and Kobe fit in there. You know, uh, so I, I would definitely say, definitely say '80s. '80s. Yeah, well, don't early about 80s. my Pistons. Don't forget about my Pistons. That's yeah. right. Bad, the bad yeah. boys. Isaiah, all those guys. Yeah, crazy era of basketball. They don't play like that anymore. I think that's one of the main reasons, too, is that you watch those clips back when, like, Bill and Bear is, like, literally, like, putting people in headlocks in the middle of the game. I think, you know. Literally, the physicality has the whole style. Of, not only has the game changed so much, just, like, on pace and three ball and this stuff. But like you said, the physicality and what guys could get away with and the type of fouling and aggressive, it, it really was a different game. And that's not to disrespect new age people or yeah. say vice versa that some of these old age legends couldn't handle this new style. But it was a different game completely just from watching clips and highlights and old school games. Yeah. 90% of the stuff that used to happen back then couldn't happen nowadays, which is uh, quite funny to see. Uh, you get thrown out for a quarter of what Bill Lampier did, you know, like not even a tenth. And yeah, then the, final, the stories of the seventies are even crazier. Oh yeah, as, about, as you go back, the wilder it gets, right? There's guys that would bring guns to to practice with them. <laughs> you lost. Craziest. I you. Uh, Gilbert Arenas would have fit in in the seventies. Then it sounds like yeah, you know, absolutely. Really yeah. would have been <laughs> and AI and AI, but anyway. Uh, so last question of the quick fire challenge, Jeff. Um, how do you think Will Chamberlain plays in today's game? Choose one uh, all star, sixth man, bench player, or NBA development league? Uh, superstar, superstar. Even so he, yeah. he dominates regardless of era, he's one of those players. So he's he's so strong. Like they talk about how strong this guy was, that he could just manhandle pretty much any anyone. You know, being uh, like he could bench. I don't want to guess the best print, bench press, but I can almost feel like it's like 
400 plus pounds. Like, you know, he, he was just a, a freak of nature. Yeah, it was a true, just one of a kind freak of nature athlete where it, I agree with you. There's guys who I just think you can plug them in any era and they're going to be special. Like, you know, you got your Jordans, you got your LeBrons, you got your Wilts, you got your Larrys. Like, those guys are literally just plug and play. It really don't matter where you put them. Those guys are going to feast. So yeah. I couldn't Man. agree more. What I would pay to see Chamberlain against Tim Duncan. Like, or like Chamberlain be versus Shaq. Shaq. Or Chamberlain versus Embiid. Like, even these newer guys are like Chamber Pete Chamberlain versus Pete Hakeem. Like, imagine that battle. Like, oh, come on. That's yeah. I think Shaq would be awesome, though. Oh, Shaq and him would be unbelievable, especially like primetime young Shaq where he was just like down in the ball, <laughs> and I'm going to destroy whatever human is in my path, Shaq. Exactly. Like peak 90s. All right. Well, that was our quick fire challenge. You did absolutely amazing. But now we want to get on to some of our great questions Alex, I'm going to let you start off with the first one. Yeah, before we do, though, I just want to let you guys know that our sponsor is Alt.xyz. If you have any cards that you want either vaulted or you want to check out their auctions or are interested in Long anything, all things Alt.xyz, go check them out. Um, so we're on to the meat and potatoes part, as Jordan would say, uh, of the show. And... Uh, Jeff, before we started the show, you showed me your shirt. Do you want to show it off again? It was the shirt that you said you wore at the National? Yep. I uh, made a few prototypes. So obviously you can tell who it's inspired by. Strong for the grade. So we're looking right. at, since it's a podcast, I'll, I'll go ahead and explain it. It's, uh, it's a Slab Strong logo, Tim McHenry of SlabStrong.com. Um, but go ahead and elaborate a little bit more on it. Yeah. So basically it's sort of a saying of especially in vintage cards of the quality quality for the grade or the eye appeal of the card. So, you know, a lot of times people always say you, you might see a PSA five, right. And that thing just looks incredible. And then you, you have a PSA seven or eight and it doesn't look half as good as that five. So you would say that five is strong for the grade. hundred percent. Nice. Yeah. It's something I learned pretty late. Like, well, not pretty late, but when I finally got back in the hobby in the early, you know, 2019 boom, like kind of era, you know, I was very focused on modern and the more and more I hanged around in clubhouse and got initiated around a lot of knowledgeable collectors, including yourself. Uh, it really did show me this whole world. And like, it was very interesting to learn, like, you know, there are copies of like, let's say, you know, uh, PSA three that might outsell a five strictly mm -hmm. because that three has really clean coloring. It might have a nasty wrinkle on the back, but on the front, it's crispy, sharp edges, good centering, nice coloring, but on the back is what dinged it really hard. But on the other copy, it's kind of faded and the corners are a little bit more round, but the back is pretty wish pristine or whatever. Right. And it's crazy to see the fluctuation between grades and prices just based on I appeal, and I think I appeal is something a lot of people are now becoming aware of, and it's something that's always been very important in vintage, but I think it just across the hobby in general, it's something people are more and more becoming aware of. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, in PWCC, we're pioneers of that, for sure. So they definitely had a good future vision of, of uh, the way things would come to be. 100%. And yeah. you got guys like Mike Baker now who do yep. the, the I appeal grades and I'm sure there's other companies who do out there, but uh, yeah, they were very ahead of their time in that understanding what the market wanted and understanding that there, you, you could have 10 copies of the same card in the same grade and those 10 copies all might look a little different in their own unique ways. Exactly. So. Especially with vintage. Yeah, I can see a couple of things that can be and they're already implemented but more of like a popular wide scale kind of thing and it was one yeah like a service like mike baker where it's just you know the the human eye just looking at what what the what the perfections are about the card and if it's beyond like a psa 10 so like it, 
and I don't know what you would call that, like a, what do they call it, like a plus plus or PSA ten uh, bronze. There's different different color codes on the. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially SGC and BGS have the high t- high high tier. You know, I think SGC is the gold label, gold label pristine, and then, and then the black label for BGS. Yep. Exactly. So there's that. But then I also see. You never know with vintage, the thousand point scale could come back as an option. And what that would do is, you know, it would eliminate all these little extra stickers and stuff that go on to the onto the slabs. And I mean thousand point scale, it's like ninety-nine times out of a hundred, it's not gonna be like the same the same grade. Like everyone's gonna be able to basically have a different score right and the higher the score the better so like you, it'll really differ differentiate how do you say it? differentiate i can't Differ- say the word differentiate different different differentiate the, the the slabs instead of because you may have we'll say like 86 fleer jordan with a with a mike baker sticker on it well okay great well this guy's got it and that guy's got it and it's maybe a pop a pop six or seven with with that sticker on it but thousand point scale more than likely you know we'll say it grades like a 986 well you'll know that that's like the very top score and i feel like people will pay a premium for that as opposed to like oh well someone else got like a the next highest score is a 948 or the next up i feel like the thousand point scale could possibly make a comeback because you'll get more squeeze as far as value what do you think yeah Absolutely. And I completely agree with that. I mean, like we were talking about with like, I like to use BGS, for example, just because they have, you know, a few different versions of gem mint or uh, pristine or whatever, like using the Jordan, right? I think what is there like six BGS tens of the Jordan? It's something very short. You have nine fives that could sell anywhere between what, like 30 and 80 K, you know, huge range, depending on the quality of it. But then you have a BGS 10 that could sell for over a million dollars. Yeah, it's and, unbelievable. You know, that that right there just kind of just shows the upper tier of people wanting to pay for the best. Yeah, I, that was another thing that really, like, especially with vintage is with Beckett, the difference between a min gem, which is, you know, a 9.5 is a gem mint considered to PSA 10, same as a gem mint. But in Beckett, you have Min Gem, True Gem, True Gem mm-hmm. Plus, True Gem Plus Plus, which a lot of people get confused about, but it's just the subgrades. And what uh, 3959 Jordan can sell for and a 295 and 210 Jordan can sell for is astronomically different, like you said, yeah. it, from all the way from like low 25, 30s to – you know, 70s, 60s, 80 range. It's unbelievable. Yep. And it really does show, again, like to your point, um, that people do care about eye appeal. They want their cards to look clean and crisp. I know it's something that, like, you know, no matter what the grade, like it, it don't matter. You want your card to look old. You want it to present well. And I think that's something that's very important to collectors. Yeah, and that's one thing important about vintage is, in theory, vintage isn't rare. Overall, right? There's tons right. of cards out there. There's, you know, thousands upon thousands of Mickey Mantle cards, but everyone still wants to collect Mickey Mantle. And you have what differentiates vintage is stuff in high grade because mm-hmm. that that's where you get your rarity. You know, you don't get it from putting the serial number on the back or anything like that. You get it from having cards that sur- somehow survive the test of time amazingly. And, you know, they shouldn't be as nice of a condition as they are, but they somehow they survived. Well, that's the great story is like, you got to think like you guys were all kids when you had these cards, like people were ripping, people were putting in their bikes, folks, you know, no one like, I mean, there were people, I can't lie. I'm sure there are people who are like, this is going to be collectible down the road. I'm going to pristine and put this in a binder back then or a screw down or whatever they thought was the great idea of that era. But most people were playing with these cards, collecting them, trading them, showing them to their friends, bringing it around, putting it in their hat. Like, so again, it is, I think it's very cool to see like relics, especially like these like crazy cool cards 
that are in high grades because, like you said, it's against all odds. They somehow yeah. stayed in their pristine tradition for 20, 30, 40, some 50, 60 plus years. And it's like, my God, like it, it is very cool. And it's a piece of American history. Absolutely. It becomes art at a certain point when they get so, you know, like a mantle rookie at a high grade. That's like, you might as well hang it on your wall. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's treated like art. I mean, people yeah. are putting it in safes, getting special encasements for it with UV protection. And this. like, people really do put high investments in cards and treat them that way. And uh, I know some people don't like them used as investments, but the point being is some of these cards have gotten to a point where it's treated like artwork, like real life, like high end artwork. So I'm always excited to see cards boom. Um, I've been getting more into vintage and just learning about it. I don't collect it. I'm not going to lie, but I really have been getting into like learning about it, especially for me. I'm more of a baseball guy. So I love yep. getting into all that stuff, but it's really fun. And there's just so much stuff you can dig into. It's like, Oh, I want to do nineties. You do nineties for a little bit. It's like, Oh, let's go to eighties. Oh, let's go to pre-war. Oh, let's go to the fifties and say like, it's a never ending like pool of like just like dump, jumping in and figuring out what's going on and seeing, you know, all the opportunities to explore. So that's something I really, really do like about it also. All right. Oh, go ahead, Alex. What were you going to say? Do you want to ask that second question? Yeah, I was going to say question number two. What are some of the vintage cards you're looking for? We always like to, you know, put it out in the air, let people come to you. Maybe they hear you want something or looking for something trying to make a deal and it sneaks up on your front door. What are some of the cards you're looking for, my buddy? Uh, sure. So one big set, and it's not like a company set, but Hall of Fame rookie cards. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of what I do with basketball. So I'm always looking to kind of upgrade what I have in you know, my in high grade in my collection. So um, there's – there's cards that I'm looking for, I would say, like in 1961 Fleer or some like 69 Tops. And I might have them in, say, you know, PSA 8s and be looking for PSA 9s. Yep. And one thing I always will direct people to is the, the PSA set registry. So uh, being on that, you, you have kind of all your stuff out in the open or you can have it out in the open if you're willing to share it. And people can then go in and see what you have and, and get an idea of, okay, you know, maybe this person might be interested in whatever, car, whatever card it is. And um, then maybe work out a deal. How helpful of a tool is PSA set registry for you? Like I honestly don't hear a lot of people talk about it, but like you bringing it up interests me because it's not something I've thought about, but especially in the vintage world too, I know it's something that's a lot bigger is that something yeah. you check out frequently going like, oh, this guy collects this or he has a huge set of this. Let me go see through and see if he's willing to part some stuff or this, that, the other, you know? Yeah, all the, all the time. I mean, I'm probably on it a few, couple times a day. So <laughs> yeah, man. It's, uh, it's, it's basically what I live by at this point because all the inventory and everything that I have, uh, that's part of the set is, is in there. And it just makes it easy to kind of like keep everything and track everything. Um, and so that's, you know, I use it. I use it a lot. And it, right. and I'd say it is a pretty big part. Uh, a lot of modern collectors don't have, uh, don't, don't use it as much because the sets aren't there to even like, you know, collect or have it, you know, with the way people collect nowadays. Exactly. With a lot of the rare stuff and, and everything like that. So it's kind of hard to build that into a registry. But definitely for... 90s and going back, I would say the registry is definitely uh, a place that's uh, where there's a lot of a lot of the top collectors are there. And you and it's not just like kind of competing with other people. It's also being able to uh, meet other other collectors and kind of build those connections. And that's you know, that's half the fun as well. A hundred percent. We definitely did that at that PSA party. Yeah, um, that PSA had. Can you tell us? I'm, I know you said it's not about the competition, but can you tell us about some of the highlights in your PSA uh, set registry? Like, I know that there, you explained to me that there's a scoring system um, mm -hmm. involved, and, and you you have 
you're like one of the top in a certain i'll i'll let you elaborate because i know you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah and so the way the scoring works is every set has something that they call uh the weighting of each card so like to give you an example if you had a set of 86 fleer you know the jordan would probably be weighted a 10 because that's the most valuable card, oh, most most impact. meaning like the most important card in that set. Exactly. And then you had, you, well, then take Minute Bull, right? Maybe he's a two, weighted a two or a three. And so you, what it does is you, you multiply the grade by the weighting. Mm-hmm. And so that gives the ability of if you, you get more credit for having the higher grade, or it's more impact having a higher grade in, in, with a card that has a high weighting associated with it. So that's kind of how it works, uh, and every set's different based on that. It's not, you know, it it, it varies. For let's see, for for stuff that I have, I would say uh, the Hall of Fame uh, players that I mentioned. That as of right now, I am number one in that. Let's um, go flex a little bit. I, I, Shout I out to them haters. You ain't gonna catch up, so don't yeah. try. <laughs> <laughs> I have a buddy who's who's uh, nipping on my toes, but. Uh, right now I'm holding that spot. Uh, another thing that, you know, I, I look into is, is the ABA. A lot of people don't know as much about that. League. Yeah. But you know, have you, if you've seen uh, the movie with Will Ferrell there? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Of course. Right? Yeah. So that actually is a, a lot of that parody stuff is actually kind of true. There's the wild stories back in the day. So all that like, kind of fascinates me and owner players. Yep. And, <laughs> and awesome. I, uh, uh, the, they have a set on there called the top 30 players of all time from that league. Cool. And, and so like, I'm topping that set too. So I've, they're basically just the rookie cards of those guys. And yeah, we'll stay out of those 30. Probably people have heard of maybe like five of them. <laughs> yeah. Cause so. did, did some of them end up going to the NBA? Is that how they essentially heard of them or exactly? Yep. And I mean, the biggest name of them all for that is, is Dr. J. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Sure. So when yep. you talk about the weights of each set, um, is like, is it, when it goes like that, is there more than one card that's a 10 or is it only one card can be a 10 or like, like, so like an 86 would like, uh, the, um, with the magic or like any of those other guys, like with mm-hmm. those also, even though they're not as big as the Jordan, but still big cards or like the Hakeem's or whatever those are, or whenever, yeah. I, whatever I'm not very like popular with that set other than Jordan um, Malone isn't it isn't he or uh, yep. but the big guys are those guys weighted to ten also or is it only one guy can be weighted to ten and then everyone else is kind of fit in between yeah there there could definitely can be more than one ten it's just it's it's more so based on the value okay so so the Jordan card is so far and above ahead of everybody else yeah. that it the next one is probably like a seven or an eight at most. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, so that's very unique too, is like not everything has to be linear. So like one set might have like a 10, no nines or eights, and then a bunch of seven, six, fives, yeah. mm-hmm. maybe a couple fours, twos, and then like ones, you know, like yeah. it doesn't have to be like every set has a one, two, a three, a four, a five, a six, a seven, an eight, a nine, a 10. Exactly. Oh, like a lot of times, like 70% of the set is, is waiting of one like all the commons and stuff like that. And then and you have the stars and others. Go, no, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So then you have like the the stars and the Hall of Famers and the others that have that value, you know, have that increasing uh, weighting or ranking. Well, and that's how some of those cards get so expensive too. I mean, you got like the Johnny Moores and stuff from 86 mm-hmm. where it's like very common guy. No one really cared about him, but because no one cared about him, it's not any disrespect to Johnny Moore. But like those cards are extremely valuable and rare because no one kept them or thought about it. So like high grade conditions of those copies go for buku money, like not near Jordan, but for a a Johnny Moore card, it's, it's unfathomable. So you got really cool cases like that going on too, which is uh, very unique. That Johnny Um, Moore, that Johnny Moore, wasn't it because it was on the top left of the sheet when they were cutting it. So like almost every time it would be miscut. Yeah, yeah, good call. That's that's a really big thing, especially in like a lot of the vintage sheets. So it's there's 132 cards in the set and 132 cards on a sheet. 
So like every card is, there's no short prints. Every card is represented on that sheet. Exactly. And then it w literally went in order. So, you know, number one's Kareem and then it went along and then Johnny Moore would, was, would be actually on that example, like he'd be on the middle, but on the side. Mm -hmm. And then they actually inverted half of the set and, and put it on top of the sheet. So number, you know, whatever it is, uh, 67 to 132 is at the top and then one through, um, you know, 66 is at the bottom. And that put the Johnny Moore at the top corner to your point. Okay, so that's why a lot of them got damaged because when they were getting cut at the top corner, it, it however they were cutting it was ending up off center, making yeah. off centered copies and stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely wild. I mean, uh, yeah, it's really cool. I just think the P PSA set registry is really cool, and I think. I wish there was a way they could kind of figure it out with modern because I think it now that you're describing what it is and I kind of understand it more, yeah. it is a cool way to kind of compete with people. The only problem is, like you said, when you got 50 million parallels and stuff and this, that, it makes it tough. But even like I know so a, a thing people do in modern a lot is to like pick a certain parallel and like mm -hmm. follow that across the whole set. So they'll try to do like the whole gold out of 10 set. Yeah. Or like tops, they'll try to do the whole gold out of one or fifty set, or the whole red out of five set. Um, maybe that's a cool way. But I do like the idea of like being able to compete against other people and kind of be like, "Nah, I got the best set right now." Right. It, it, it does make it a fun, engaging way to collect and kind of battle it out with people. Yep, absolutely. I mean, people kind of do it unofficially, you know, now through you know through their connections or Instagram or or just you know, friends knowing what each people have, but it's, a, it's sort of a way of like documenting it basically. Yeah. To add to your point, Jeff, earlier about how you said like, well, it's the PSA set registry is more popular with vintage collectors as opposed to modern. Obviously that's an eye test, but I agree with that because I feel like the hold time for a modern card is much, much shorter than say a guy like you who's out there getting a vintage card and holding it for years, potentially till... To the grave, you know what I mean? Um, coffee so cards. Pardon? Coffee cards, cards baby. Cards. How do you feel yeah. about selling cards? Are you not a big seller? Like, obviously, we all have to do it in the hobby to upgrade yeah. and move along with, you know, what we're doing. But in general, like, I know there's people like, shout out to our good friend Hoge, who are very anti-selling. And they understand the same way as, like, all of us here do. You have to sell sometimes to upgrade. Mm. And then there's people like me who... I'm very 50-50. I do have cards that I feel like I'll never sell in my life, but I'm also very open to moving cards quickly, and I don't have a problem with that. Where do you lie on that kind of? Yeah, I definitely do a lot of selling. So a bunch of stuff on eBay and then some auction houses. Some of it is just to purely make money to kind of pour it back Sorry, in and, and collect. Uh, and then other stuff is you upgrade and then you sell your other copy. Um, right. But, yeah, I mean, I'm probably – Maybe like two thirds collector, one third sell, something like that. Yeah, no, and I always hated the whole, oh, I'm a flipper, I'm a collector. We're all collectors. At the end of the day, you got to sell cards to make money. This shit ain't cheap. You're going to have to sometimes, like you said, buy cards you don't even want to collect, but you know it's a great deal. You can flip it, make a little money, buy something you want, sell a PSA 7 copy that you've had forever to get a PSA 9 copy or 8 copy or 8 and a half. That, that's just the circle of the hobby life. I always thought it was weird. Like I get during the whole like retail flipping era of people, but listen, we all sell cards. I don't think there's a ne like something negative to be had to be like, Oh, you sell cards. And I don't like, man, if you're rich enough to buy all the cards in the world and never have to sell them props to you, but Good I'm not, you. Exactly. you know, so I, I'm just a normal guy and I, I can't have everything I want yet, but hopefully I get there one day with the big bosses. I don't so. sell cards guys. So I'm just letting you know. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Check out my eBay store. <laughs> Peon stuff that's above me. I'm kidding. All right. So one of our next questions are, who are some of your hobby heroes or people you look up to in the hobby generally, or kind of like got you started in your journey to collecting and stuff? Yeah, I think uh, there's a there's a few people for sure. Um, 
one of them is one of them is a, a gentleman that I've got to know over the years who he we consider him he's the he's the godfather of vintage basketball. So he, he owns the best cards in that niche on the planet, bar none. Um and so he's been kind of like a mentor to me. I mean, I'll never have the sets in what he has, but I'm fine taking second place or third place. And so he's taught me a lot over the years and, you know, um, giving me cards when he upgrades and stuff like that. So that all works out good. So um, his name is, is Michael Ricosi. So he's, he's pretty well known in, you know, some circles with like vintage and stuff. And I'd say um, another collector, and this is someone that probably doesn't have to sell as much, is Nat Turner. Hundred um, percent. So I, you know, definitely look up to him just as a as a collector, and in how much he, you know, takes that into account, you know, with the cup with the company, and you know, having that in his hands, I think is is great, you know, for the hobby. Yeah, shout out to Nat. I think guys like that, it's just inspiring to see like. This is a guy who has a ton of money, can do anything he wants in life, and he decides to collect cards and, and better the hobby in every way he can, and he put his money where his mouth is in the ultimate way in buying PSA. Yep. And, uh, you know, he's done such a great job, and then to see how he still collects, like, like you'll just see random cards on his feeds, and it always just makes me smile because it's like this, like, yeah. no, no hate against CEOs or big high-end people in the company that aren't hobbyists, but it makes me feel so amazing knowing the number one grading company that holds the most weight right now. I know things can change mm. collects and gets the hobby. Like that is a real collector. I don't care who you are. You can't shit on that for his collector. Like he's, he's God tier level. And it just always made me feel like this, like nice feeling to know, like he gets it. Like it, it's just a safe, good feeling if that makes sense. So yeah. I think it's a great, great answer. Alex, you got anything to add on to that? Yeah. I mean, I'm mesmerized every time I refresh my feed and his post is at the top and he's ripped lately so much 90s basketball. I'm so envious um, because he, you can tell, he rips it. Obviously, he's looking to, to complete, I think, either PMG set or just look for those high, high-end uh, chase cards. But you can tell by the way that he constantly opens them and the context within the post. He opened these things as a kid. You can tell mm. he definitely opened them. And so not only is he he chasing the cards, but he's reliving his youth. Like, I feel like cards and sets like that, which, I mean, boxes of sealed cards like that are dwindling in numbers. So the opportunity to relive that little small moment of your childhood one is getting more expensive. Two, it's getting more rare. So I feel like I'm I'm really envious of that, him being able to just relive those tiny little moments of childhood, ripping the, the foil, the sound of the foil, opening it up, smelling that UV on some of the metal cards. Like, yeah, I know you guys know what I'm talking about. It is uh, something that clicks in your brain and just kind of gives you like a, I don't know, a serotonin drop, I guess you could say. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just awesome to see. So... Yeah, yeah, I agree with Jordan and, and yourself, Jeff. Um, that's an awesome asset to the hobby. Um, I haven't, haven't uh, met him yet, even though I went to the PSA party. Um, I think he just kind of seemed busy. I didn't want to go over and bother, but soon, soon enough, soon enough. Do you enjoy ripping wax? I don't do it too often. You, you know, yeah, I mean, I've, so expensive, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll rip junk wax. A hundred percent. You know, you, you can go to a card show and buy it for 50 cents a pack or a dollar a pack. Yeah, just have some fun. It's and fun, it's like you know? the boxes you're into, they're probably, I mean, with the sets you like, like you can't help it. Those boxes are unbelievably expensive. So, um, yeah, I always just wonder because I, I know a lot of people are really into just buying singles and selling them. And they, they, they were very nostalgic as kids to buy cards and like rip wax. But yeah. that doesn't intrigue them as much anymore. Um, so I was kind of curious of your opinion. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it comes down to like a, a money thing too. You know, I, I've never ripped like a box of Prism or, or whatever. Yeah, no, I get that. that. So I've with with a buddy, you know, who's bought the box, I'll kind of join him and like, you know, kind of 
take uh, some some cheap fun right there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't like I don't like buy like wax and stuff like that. Um, not because it's not cool and not because it's not fun. Just you know, it's, uh, I get it. Totally yeah. get it, man. There's no hmm. wrong answer. I was just curious. Yep. Um, but yeah, alrighty. Um, Alex, you want to ask the next question? Yeah, I was just gonna add to that. Like, I think if you're just getting started in the hobby, um, obviously you buy your pack or two. But there's more longevity. Like, we don't know. Like, say a new collector comes up and you had to give them advice. I would pretty much say, like, put like 80% of your money into getting singles and buying and selling singles, and then obviously keep the ones that you want for your PC, because it's just to me more of a stable situation than just going and buying a box of prism hobby where you're in it for six hundred two thousand dollars but then what the output is is like twenty dollars in value sometimes yeah it's no joke yeah i was um, actually gonna ask you real quickly i think this is a good kind of impromptu question that came into my head was for being such a strong vintage collector and someone who's been doing this for a while i think you understand that market better than most what are some tips for some young collectors or people who are love the hobby, they know modern very well, and mm. they're intimidated to get into this vintage stuff because it can be very overwhelming. Like I said, you got a plethora of different eras from pre-war to, you know, 70s, 80s basketball. Yeah. Uh, and it can just be so overwhelming. What are some advice you got? Yeah, that's a great question. So. I mean, one good thing about vintage is that you don't have a trillion sets in one year, right? You know, you might have, you know, it's 1978 tops or, or whatever. So mm -hmm. that kind of pairs down the number of sets that you have to deal with. Um, I, I think it's, if you want to kind of dip your toes in, just find out, figure out what you're, you're going to zone in on. So what sport, you know, what um, players or eras, and then kind of, so narrow your focus down first and don't get like swallowed into it. You know what I mean? Um, and then from there, like decide if you're just going to do player, if you're going to do an actual set itself, you know, if you had a set as a kid, you really liked and you wanted to kind of rebuild that or something, you know, with graded cards or whatever it might be, um, you know, figure that out. But I think the most important thing is to kind of narrow your focus and then go from there. Yeah, kind of just focus in on something like pick an era, pick a player. And I think the nice thing, too, like you were saying earlier, is you don't got to worry about 100 different parallels or SP or an SSP right. or a triple SP. Or it's pretty much this is straightforward who it is, find the card, figure out a grade, start going from there. Um, and yeah. Yeah, it definitely. And a couple other things, too, are you can have, you know, multiple sizes of budgets, right? So you can be collecting uh, mid-grade vintage. A lot of it is very affordable. Mm -hmm. So you can collect in any level you want to, you know, whether it's trying to find the highest grade pop ones, you know, people want to do it that tier, but you there's also much, uh, a lot of affordability. Yeah, well. and that's something I love too is the affordability, and it feels like so like PC cards. So like just a guy, obviously we all know hundredth time I've talked about him on here. Blue Bob, collect him, love him, great player, whatever. I buy a PC card of him, especially in this era. You might spend a hundred bucks, let's say, pretty affordable. But two, three weeks later, depending on how stuff goes or this that, it might get down to fifty. It might go up to one fifty. It feels like, especially in the mid-tier and lower-end range of vintage, that stuff's pretty stable and does a very slow but steady increase over time. So it's like something where you can feel good about, like, oh, I'm starting to get into this. I'm learning it. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to initiate myself in vintage and kind of soak up all this knowledge because there's so much. But I also don't have to feel scared that, like, oh, I'm going to buy this $100 card. And in a month from now, it's going to be $40 or 30 Like, that doesn't really happen as much. It can, right. but it's a little bit more stable in that sense, especially the mid-tier to lower-end stuff, correct? Yeah, definitely. So it doesn't fluctuate as heavy. So I think that's always nice for uh, people 
but yeah, I just wanted to ask you that because like, listen, I know how serious you take collecting and I know you love vintage cards and stuff like that. And you're not really a modern guy. So I always hear like kids asking like, how do I get into it? What do I do? So I just thought that'd yeah. be great for you to kind of, you know. The other thing I thought of too is, you know, everybody loves to talk stats, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the luxury of going backwards is you can see what people's careers are and how they did and kind of yes. talk about who's better than who and, and all that. Right. So people that are, you know, stat nerds or whatever you want to call it um, also like the history of the game. So yeah. I think that when you start like digging into that more and kind of finding out about who the greats were and, and learning more about their careers and everything, that kind of naturally draws you into the cards. So I think yeah. that, that yeah. plays into it too. Yeah, no, something that always has gotten me excited is like his nerdy. I love looking on the back of cards and looking at all the years of stats and like what's going on, especially like vintage baseball and stuff. That stuff has always got me excited. I just love seeing like, oh, home runs, at-bats, RBIs, war, like, you know, um, something Tops does that's kind of cool on newer cards. Now I know again, ooh, newer, <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, but uh, the advanced stat parallel, which gives you like a lot of the advanced stats, I do think it's cool to be able to compare people's careers and kind of hone in and be like, oh, now I can kind of nerd out and really like get down to who was better and why this person was better and stuff like that. And there's just so much more to look at. Let's be honest. Like how many times, like I love Prism. I love modern cards. How many times can you look at the same, oh, Prism Black 101, this, that. Like the sets are different. The players are different. There's no parallels. There's all these legends to go after. There's affordability. It really does feel like it's something that I think more young collectors should get into, but are just intimidated, honestly. Yeah. And, and there's also, when you say there's no parallels, one thing that, that I think people always don't realize is that there's actually, you, you can consider like oddball cards, you know, cards you got in loaves of bread, right? Or hot dogs or whatever it might be, right? <laughs> Those are almost your like fun parallels or like different cards that you have. If you want to collect a player in vintage, that's kind of what you have to do. Right. Yeah. It's not just your tops. Like every year you kind of get all those weird cards and everything too. And that could be uh, pretty interesting um, as well. Yeah. One of my favorite weird sets. I'm, I'm not sure if you know it. I'm pretty sure you probably will is the prism jewel set, like the basketball one. So like Michael, they're like the sticker cards and they yeah, yeah, like yeah. made it very goofy. They're pretty expensive, but like Michael Jordan, uh, Carl, like all the legends, Jerry or uh, Julia serving, like, they all have cards and like it's just something about them. They're very wacky and unique. And I remember seeing it. I'm like, I know a lot of people hate them and think they're very ugly or this or feel yeah. very but like again, it's like something weird where you never would have expected it. And it's like these cards are extremely popular. So that's another way to look at it is you don't have to just get uh you know dive deep into like the mainstream companies. You can look at a lot of off-brand or weird promotion stuff that was rare or like this McDonald's card, if you came on a Sunday and said the special word, we give you a like, you know, just some yeah. Google promotion or something. So, yeah, that's very funny, also. Yeah, right. I 89 um, had, I think, for football, had a good number of sets, like three or four mainstream sets. But, and that was uh, Barry Sanders' rookie year. He also has an Oscar Mayer Wiener card. Yeah, uh, like a police card, and it's got a white border on it. Yeah, that I could definitely see how that, in turn, becomes sort of like a like an insert in a way. So that's that that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um. So Jeff, uh, Little Bird told me that you're seeking an opportunity in the hobby. Could you elaborate a little bit more on on that? Yeah. So I am definitely, uh, you know, the hobby has been my my life for many years right going Clearly. back <laughs> and what better way to not go to work is going to work in the hobby you love or, or you know job you like so you know uh definitely uh, open to uh opportunities in the space you know exploring exploring both and uh that would be uh that'd be a dream it'd be fun what kind of opportunities if you could like let's obviously i know you're probably 
you're picky, but not like to the point where you're just no, no, no. But sure. what were some of the dream opportunities? Yeah, dream scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, dream opportunities that if it fell in your lap, that you would be like, I would kill for that job. Do you have anything on top of your head or not? Yeah, I, I would sort of put it just more in terms of like functions. So like, for instance, my background is like accounting and finance. Okay. So if I could sort of combine that experience and be doing it within a hobby company, right? Whether it's, you know, a grading company or, or manufacturer or whatever it might be. Uh, I think, you know, you can kind of get the best of both worlds when it comes to that. So like finance, strategy, sales, you know, stuff, stuff in kind of those uh, corporate functions. 100%. Well, you heard it here first, hobby companies. If you need an accountant who also is a badass vintage collector, yeah. hit up this man ASAP and get him a freaking job. Jeff Hart, Patriot Sports Cards. Cool. Jeff, uh, last thing, is there anything you want to plug? Any shout outs? Uh, we're, we're at the end of the show here or that you want to say? Uh, I mean, I guess the only thing is just uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram. It's uh, at Patriot underscore sports cards. And yeah, you know, post a lot of uh, my collection there just for just for fun. Kind of uh, always want to uh, connect with other uh, other collectors. So um, follow me if you haven't already. Oh, yeah. Just just for fun. Just to put things into more clear context. He says just for fun. But I'm just scrolling through the Instagram right now and I've seen it before. But the first pin card is a. Eight, uh, 61 Fleer, Wilt Chamberlain, 85 PSA. <laughs> okay, buddy. Yeah, there we go. I mean, yeah, it's really been an honor to talk to you. I love talking to collectors, having genuine people who truly care about the hobby. Um, I, it's something I just, I, like you said, it, it, it's always a good time to know that, you know, we all got our own lives, problems, things going on. But these little pictures of men on sports cards make us all, you know, hang out and talk and share stories and create friendships. And uh, I really, really enjoyed having you on. And you definitely need to come back on soon in the future. Uh, So thank you so much, Jeff Hart. Uh, We appreciate you guys. Go check them out on Instagram, Patriot Sports Cards, right? That's right. And uh, thank you for coming on. Really, really appreciate you. It's been awesome, guys. It's been a pleasure, and uh, thanks for having me. No problem. Jeff, we'll have you on again soon. Take care. Sounds good. That's the show, guys. Uh, Tune in next time where we have – no, I'm just kidding. Don't tune in. Uh, We don't want it. No, kidding. (laughs) And shout-out to our sponsor, Alt.xyz. They are freaking amazing. We love you. They sponsor every episode. They we couldn't do this without them, so shout out to them. Bye. Bye.